to episode 8 of the Get More Sports Podcast. Thanks for rocking with us once again. On today's episode, we're going to break down Game 3. The pivotal Game 3 is tonight between the Raptors and the Warriors. We're going to talk a little bit about that, talk some NFL, talk some baseball. But we have to start up in Oakland where tonight's pivotal Game 3 is really going to swing this series. The Raptors, they win game one, they look strong in game two, and then they fall apart. They had what Nick Nurse describes as the quarter from hell. Like, it wasn't like, I mean, he had some, in the, in the, in the quarter from hell, the third quarter that we had there, he, he had like three or four of the, of the really good looks there. One from about eight feet, one from about 10 feet, and then one was a wide open three. So, um, you know, he did do a good job, though, pressuring him, and, and Mark Mark will. Um... And they give up that 18 nothing run. They couldn't get baskets down the stretch. They try that box and one against Steph Curry to no avail. The Warriors steal game two, and the Raptors are in a position where it's really set up nicely for them to come in tonight and get that win. Marcus Gasol says they're preparing like they're going to be at full strength, but look. This is not a great scenario if you're the Warriors. They're really taking a page out of the Raptors book because they look like they're nearly extinct. You got Kavon Looney. He's out for the series with a non-displaced first coastal cartilage factor. By the way, it's Kavon Looney National Media. I hear everyone call him Kevin, Kavon, Kavano. Like his, it's Kavon Looney. I guess you got to make a name for yourself. It's like Kanye said, when Dwayne Wade became Dwayne Wade, you got to make a name. But he's, it's Kavon Looney, but he's out for the series. And then Clay Thompson, Steve, Steve Kerr said he's questionable. Here's what Clay Thompson said about his status going into game three. Game time decision. But for me personally, it would be hard to see me not playing. So hopefully I'll feel much better tomorrow and uh, be a go tip-off. So you got Kevon Looney out, Kevin Durant's missing his eighth straight, Boogie Cousins has played 36 minutes so far, and he's he's still getting back from injury, and the Warriors are still a four-and-a-half point favorite, so the Warriors are still favored going into tonight's matchup, and if you're the Raptors, you have to find a way to get it done tonight. Because if you don't get it done, Friday is when Kevin Durant looks like he's going to be returning to the lineup. And Clay Thompson, that hamstring might heal. You have to take advantage while they're down. This is your opportunity to really step in and really take control of the series. Because if you don't, it could get ugly. This could be a short series, and the Raptors could be wondering what if because they have a serious opportunity to win this series. But going into tonight's game, it's really going to come down to the Warriors' ability to find contributions from other players. Tonight, they have three of their six players in total minutes not playing, and they need contributors from guys like Quinn Cook. So Quinn Cook, he hit some huge threes in game two, and he's going to have to step up in Clay's absence. In the series, he's shooting 40% from three, and he does have 28 stars for Golden State. So really, it comes down to can he create that spacing and prevent the Raptors from really just completely loading up on Steph Curry. And Curry, he explains their strategy, how 
after game two, it's just everybody being ready. The way that we play, I think everybody feels involved on both ends of the floor and, and has an opportunity to impact the game. Not necessarily like, you know, scoring every possession, but just playing within the flow and and sharing the ball, moving out, the, you know, playing unselfishly. And Devon Green has been huge with his triple-double in game one. He had that 10-10-10 game. He, become he became just the third player in NBA history to register back-to-back-to-back triple-doubles. So he's going to have to have a big game. But the Warriors are vulnerable. The Warriors are a team that really has, they played 511 games collectively with this group. That's a lot of minutes, and we're talking playoff finals game. Those games count as two and three games because of the exertion you take on your body, the intensity level. So the Warriors, are they going to crack? I'm not so sure, but tonight is pivotal. The Raptors, you have to get it done. And I know it's a little hyperbole here, but if you don't win tonight's game, if you don't get it done with the Warriors down like they are, your franchise might never win an NBA championship. There's no guarantees you're going to come back here. People were saying Kawhi Leonard bought a house in Toronto, that he was going to sign a short-term deal with the Raptors. Now people are saying he's all but gone. The NBA gave Doc Rivers that tampering fine when Doc Rivers compared Kawhi Leonard to Michael Jordan. And a lot of people say that was the Raptors basically conceding that he's going to the Clippers and that they were just trying to get the Clippers that tampering fine. So if you don't win tonight, this is your opportunity to get an NBA championship. There's 12 franchises in the NBA that have never won the Larry O'Brien trophy. You have the Phoenix Suns, the Los Angeles Clippers, Utah Jazz, Denver Nuggets, Indiana Pacers, Brooklyn Nets. Minnesota Timberwolves, Orlando Magic, Charlotte Hornets, Toronto Raptors, and the Memphis Grizzlies. So, Toronto, there is no guarantee in the NBA. This is a league that's built on its dynasties. This is a league where the Lakers and Celtics have over 32 championships combined. Bulls have six. This is a, a league where the Spurs have five championships. So, really, it comes down to... Are you going to win tonight? Because the stakes are high. You may never get back to the stage, and you really better get it done. So I want to see the Raptors come out tonight strong. I think they will. I think Toronto, despite being a four-and-a-half-point underdog, I think they come in tonight, and that drought they had where Nick Nurse calls it the quarter from hell, I think that they, they look behind, they, they turn the page, and the Raptors, they win game Three. So look for the Raptors to come out tonight strong. They're going to be focused. They're going to steal game three, and they're going to reclaim control of the series. So staying in the NBA, you got to break out some NBA free agency rumors, some trade rumors, and really it's starting to get juicy because apparently Kyrie Irving has no interest in re-signing with Boston, so that puts him down to the Lakers or the Nets. Not sure why the Knicks aren't in contention. They might be a sleeper team. So it appears that that trade with Isaiah Thomas and that Danny Ainge made to get Kyrie in Boston, that that's going to be all for naught. And that Kyrie Irving, we talked about it on the last show, that really his legacy's at stake when it comes to, is he going to crawl back to LeBron, find his own chapter in Brooklyn, 
but apparently news today is that he won't be in Boston. Now, the reason I bring that up is that if he's not going to stay in Boston, what does that mean for Boston as far as do they make that Anthony Davis trade? Because we know that the Pelicans covet Jason Tatum, and they have the number one pick, and they're going to pick up Zion with that number one pick. But if you're the Celtics, do you part ways with Jason Tatum, someone that you covet and someone that you profile as a future all-star and someone that could be the cornerstone of your franchise with Kyrie gone. And if I'm the Boston Celtics, I really have pause in bringing in Anthony Davis because if you bring in Anthony Davis and you pair him with Gordon Hayward, who is not going to live up to that contract after that, that severe ankle injury he suffered in the season opener last year, is it really worth it to get one year of AD and you know he's likely going to walk because if you're Anthony Davis, do you really want to stay in Boston with that youth or do you want to try to win now with the Lakers or potentially the Knicks, the Bulls, a major market like that? So Anthony Davis, that's the next move. So the chips are all starting to fall, and I do see this domino effect because Kyrie, had he stayed in Boston, that makes it where it's a really easy decision for Danny Ainge and the Celtics because if a if Kyrie's committed long term, and you're willing to make that trade with the Pelicans, because we know the Pelicans think highly of Jason Tatum, and if they trade him for Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis likes playing with Kyrie, maybe you have a better odds of locking him up long term in Boston. But with Kyrie not going back to Boston, that opens things up, and it really hurts the leverage of the Pelicans. So. Switching gears to Anthony Davis, what does that mean for the Browns? So this week, the, just a couple days ago, yesterday, Shams Sharkania, he reports that Anthony Davis has no interest in re-signing with the Pelicans. So David Griffin, they signed David Griffin as GM to the Pelicans, and his first order of business was to see if there was any traction, if he could get Anthony Davis to even consider signing that Supermax deal, but apparently that's not the case. So they tried to keep the brow in the bayou, and ultimately he's going to have a parade out of New Orleans. So he's still requesting that parade, and really... If it's the Lakers, the Lakers are believed to be the front runners as far as the destination where he wants to play. And I really think that he fits well with LeBron. So with LeBron, especially if you keep Lonzo Ball, you have Lonzo Ball at the one. LeBron, he's going to be a forward, but really we know he's going to handle the ball in clutch situations. But Anthony Davis, he gives a lob to the rim. And Anthony Davis, let's just not get forget, this guy is a guy who was a top three MVP candidate. He's a guy averaging 28 points, 11 rebounds, playing first team all defensive, defensive player of the year caliber defense. And he's one of the premier stars in this league. And you pair him with someone like LeBron James, and I think it's it's let's go. It's Lakers to the finals. It's a clear-cut route to the to the championship if the Lakers are able to secure an Anthony Davis. We know he'd sign there long term. We know he's a part of clutch sports. And also, this is a guy who really could to get the keys to the kingdom from LeBron. So if LeBron 
when he's LeBron has a couple years left in his prime. LeBron knows he has one or two more runs at a championship, and he wants to get that fourth ring. And for LeBron James to do it, he really needs to come to grips with the fact that Anthony Davis is going to take this franchise over. And I think LeBron James has no issues doing that. I think King James would gladly give the keys to the kingdom to Anthony Davis, and it would be a lot like Shaq and Kobe. Shaq was the most dominant player in the league. He was the MVP in 2000. He had three consecutive finals MVPs, and then we saw that Kobe took over the Lakers and that Shaq left. So really the age difference is to a point where Anthony Davis doesn't need to come and play in LeBron's shadow. He's really, it's more like a Batman and Batman than a Batman and Robin. And I think LeBron James, he knows at this point in his career, he doesn't have the minutes in him to be it to do it every single night and that he would likely defer to Anthony Davis. So I do see it as a great fit and it really just comes down to what do the Pelicans want to do? Is it is their pride a factor? Does the Pelicans owner Benson and new GM David Griffin have any issues with sending him to to the Lakers which we all know was a, just a complete circus as far as Anthony Davis trying to force a trade to the Lakers during the midseason. To me, if I'm the Lakers, I've traded all. I trade. I traded all except Lonzo Ball. I think you keep Lonzo Ball and you trade everything else. You know, Brandon Ingram. You can sell him on the fact that he was really playing his best basketball of his career. He was averaging. 27.8 points, seven and a half rebounds, and two and a half assists in his last seven games before going out with that injury. He has that blood clot injury, but apparently that's not going to hold him back and that he's going to make a complete recovery and it's not going to hurt him in the future. And then Lonzo Ball, he was playing his best basketball before he was injured. He was averaging 14.5 points, 8.5 assists, 6.5 rebounds, and 1.5 steals, all while, all while leading defensive point guards in defensive rating. So the best defensive point guard in the NBA, he's long, he gets steals. So really, he was starting to show that number two pick status that he was, and he was starting to play like a star. So Lonzo Ball... At number, at number two was really coming around. Ingram playing his best basketball. If you're the Pelicans, though, I'd consider moving him to the Knicks. If I was the Pelicans, as much as the Lakers make sense as far as their young talent, they could also include that number four pick. And, you, and John Morant could slide to that spot. The R.J. Barrett could slide. Cam Reddish. But outside of that, it's really a top three draft. You really want a top three pick in this draft to get a future star. I don't see Cam Reddish being a future star, but I do see John Morant, of course, Zion Williamson. He's going to be the face of the league at some point. And R.J. Barrett profiling as future all-stars. And if I'm the Pelicans, that's the move I make. As much as the Lakers have talent, I would send them to the Knicks for the simple fact that, one, you don't want Anthony Davis controlling his whereabouts, and he he's a player. It, it hurts to send a player that's a top three player in his prime, and the Pelicans are going to do just that. It's like the Magic not re-signing Shaquille O'Neal. Look what it did to that franchise. They were dormant for a decade. So 
whether it's out of spite, whether it's being petty, if you send them to the Knicks, the added benefit is you throw them in the Eastern Conference so you won't have to get beat by Anthony Davis and the Lakers for the next three years. And then also, you can get R.J. Barrett. So it's well documented that Zion Williamson is very good friends with R.J. Barrett, that they have chemistry on the court together. And then also down the line, if you look at what happened in this situation with Anthony Davis walking, it feels like just yesterday when they drafted him and down the line, maybe they learn their mistakes and they bring in R.J. Barrett and helps them re-sign Zion when he's up for an extension. So you have to do everything in your power to really keep these guys in your franchise. And by bringing in R.J. Barrett, I think that that's just small, one small step, but it really could prove to be a major factor in keeping Zion down the line. So if I'm the Knicks... And if I'm also, if I'm Anthony Davis, I like that situation just as much as I do the Lakers situation. In fact, I might like it even a little better, especially if they do get Kevin Durant. So imagine Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis in Madison Square Garden in their prime. Anthony Davis has only played in 13 playoff games in his career. He deserves a chance to play in that spotlight in Madison Square Garden, both in their primes, both in the Eastern Conference. They don't have to worry about any of the Western Conference juggernauts. And if I'm Anthony Davis, it really comes down to what do you prefer? Is it is it skyscrapers or beaches? Do you love L.A.? Are you going to start spraying the news? And if I'm the Lakers, I'm aggressively making it known what their package is. If it's Lonzo Ball, Ingram, Wagner, Kuzma, Hart, make it known that they're doing everything in their power to get Anthony Davis so that Pelicans franchise, if they take a lesser deal from the Knicks, that they're all over that franchise and you got to leak if you're the Lakers that you're willing to part with just about everything in order to lure Anthony Davis because that's how it works. you got to have some gamesmanship here. And if you're the Lakers, just make it known. You're throwing everything at the Pelicans. I don't care if it's Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio, the Santa Monica Pier, In-N-Out Burger. I don't care what it is. If you got to offer it up for Anthony Davis just to make it known that you're willing to give it all for Anthony Davis, you also show him that if it doesn't work out wherever he gets traded, whether it is Boston, whether it is New York, that you were trying to do everything in your power and that it will help you sign him when he does become a free agent because he's going to become a free agent no matter what, wherever he goes, and it's still a factor, and you still have that one year with him because he's still under contract for the next year. But if you're the Lakers, it's not over for Anthony Davis. It feels like at some point he has to end up with the Lakers, right? So it's not over, and if you're the Lakers, like I said, you have to focus on the fact that if you're not going to get them, at least make it known that you're willing to part with just about everything to get Anthony Davis, with the exception of LeBron James. Now, of course, if you heard Bill Plasky, the LA Times reporter, this guy, he's off his rocker once again, saying that LeBron James would request a trade if the Lakers strike out in this offseason, and that just has absolutely no legs to it, and it's just Bill Plasky being a 
being a uh, being a little kook once again because come on man LeBron James he had his sights set on Los Angeles he's out here producing Space Jam 2 he's going nowhere he's living it up smoking cigars in Brentwood don't worry about LeBron James he's going to be just fine and also the Lakers are going to be just fine they have the cap space and the young assets to get him some help my bold prediction, there's a 100% chance that LeBron James will not leave the Los Angeles Lakers. It's a fun internet hot take rumor, but he's locked in with the Lakers. I don't care the dysfunction that they've shown, but he's going to end his career in the purple and gold because that's just bad for his brand for LeBron James to go to Cleveland, to go to the Heat, to go back to Cleveland, to go to the Lakers, to go wherever he's going to go next. He's not going to do that. And then more importantly for him, he will be able to get some talent and become a championship contender, especially when you consider the fact that Kevin Durant and the Warriors dynasty is just a couple of days, really, of breaking up. So don't worry about LeBron leaving the Lakers. Bill Plasky, he's just talking crazy. He has no substance to that. No one's leaking that. No one in LeBron's camp is stating that. And really, by all accounts, LeBron and the front office are really working hand-in-hand in trying to get a free agent. So LeBron, he's been very involved in trying to lure in Kyrie, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard. So LeBron's really has been focusing his efforts on getting the Lakers some talent not selling that Brentwood mansion that he bought for $23 million. He owns two mansions. He owns a production a production company. So don't listen to Bill Plasky or any of his nonsense. 90% of it never comes true. So next we're going to talk about the NFL and the potential 18-game regular season that was reported by Mark Maskey of the Washington Post. So Mark Maskey of the Washington Post, he reports that the NFL is pushing for an 18-game regular season in the next labor negotiations and that the NFL has been scheming and strategically going this route for many, many years now, and that they've had their sights set on 18 for quite some time. So this is really what the NFL does, and this has always been their strategy. What do they do? They trash the preseason. They say that fans want more games, that you want 18 regular season games so they can have another playoff team, another wild card winner to add another wild card to the playoff rounds and that's how you do it you tell the fans that these games are terrible and Roger Goodell he's been really really critical about the quality of play in the preseason and that really that they're meaningless games and that's how the NFL got from 14 to 16 games back in the late 70s so back in the late 70s the NFL was playing 14 games and six preseason games. And what they do? Trash the preseason, said it was unnecessary, and then they went from to 16 regular season games to four preseason games. So this is really how they get it done. And the NFL, it's a $14.5 billion industry. It's a $14 billion league most of any league on the planet Earth, and they're continuing to grow revenue. And apparently Roger Goodell, he wants to get it up to $20 billion in his time as commissioner. And I'm just here to say, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, and the NFL, you have to wonder, are they getting greedy? Does this risk diluting their product? Does this risk player injury even more? Now, the NFL in recent years They've done more for player safety as far as negotiating 
pensions with former players, as far as researching player safety, as far as as penalties and ejections for head-to-head, helmet-to-helmet contact, and technology growth and, and uh, helmet protection. But really, and also the contact in practice has been reduced, no more Oklahoma drill. But really, NFL, yes, this is your attempt to say, oh, look, what do we do? We've made it more safe, right? Look, concussions are down, CTE. But this is the thing. You need generations of evidence. Yes, it's great that there has been more of an effort to address player safety, but we won't know until years after players are finished their careers whether or not those measures and those those developments have really paid dividends. So don't just say, hey, I mean, what was your motive at this point? Was it all public relations? Probably. Was it all an attempt to try to tell these players, hey, it's much more safer for you. You're not having as many injuries. But look, I'm here to tell you that these NFL players are still risking severe head trauma and CTE, no matter what you say, is still a possibility. So look, it's great you've done what you've done, but we're not going to know for generations whether or not it's really, really had had an effect on player safety. But back to this preseason mess and this regular season mess and wanting to move to 18 games. A couple of other things that the NFL is trying to accomplish here. The preseason is really, I think that it's essential to getting these young players developed, to getting these players in game shape. But they said, hey, not only do they want no preseason, we want to push the Super Bowl to President's Day. We want to do that, and a way of doing that is extending that regular season all the way out to President's Day because we know one of the big complaints with people in the Super Bowl is people say, oh, man, the Super Bowl is on Sunday. I get super trashed. I get white girl wasted. I get too turned up. And then Monday, it's like, it's you know, Super Bowl Sunday, super hangover Monday. And now if you push it to President's Day, you have that day off. And what does that do? That encourages people, hey, I'm off Monday because it's a holiday. More beer, more alcohol, more partying. And then the NFL, it really goes hand-in-hand with their sponsors. So really, it's all a money-making, motivated process for the NFL. And Tony Dungy, the, the Hall of Fame coach, the former Hall of Fame coach, he said adding an 18-game schedule is really... It not in the league's best interest. He said, I think one of the things that's great about the NFL now is every game matters. You've got these tight races. 16 games is a lot. You want to get into the playoffs. You want people to be ready to play right. meaningful games in January. I'm watching the NBA playoffs now, and you see the effect of this long season. Yes. Kawhi Leonard limping up and down the, the floor. Right. Kevin Durant out. Yeah. Clay Thompson maybe out. That's not what people want to see in the playoffs. You're right. I have to think, you know, we would get some of the same thing if you add more games. And I just, I don't think it would be good for the players. I don't think it'd be good for the product. He's saying what I'm saying. You dilute it a little bit. And then also these injuries start to take their toll even more. Head trauma is one thing. Okay. But ACL injuries, look what Todd Gurley's dealing with. Look what happened. Early in 
uh, with injuries all over the field. Russell Wilson was banged up. You can't have your your players being injured. And really, a head trauma is one thing, but it's it's season-ending ACL. Look what happened to Ryan Shazier with the spinal injury. That had nothing to do with head trauma. That had, that had to do with the bad angle and just the fact that the NFL is a violent sport. Look what happened to Alex Smith. I mean... The wear and tear on your body, you, you got to have guys popping Achilles, getting bad injuries the more you play, even if it's not CTE and head trauma. But Roger Goodell, he would go on to say, I feel what we should be doing is always to the highest quality, and I'm not sure preseason games meet that level right now. That's what Roger Goodell's told the Associated Press. I'm not sure. Talking with coaches that four preseason games is necessary anymore to get ready for a season to evaluate players, develop players. There are other ways of doing that, and we've had the discussions about that. Translation, preseason games are bad because they're low quality. Give me more regular season games. So Roger Goodell, he knows what he's doing, and really, if you're going to do it and you're going to concede something – if I'm the NFLPA, I look what I look what the uh, I look into this as far as getting guaranteed contracts. I look at this as a way to try to get what we've always deserved, and that is fully guaranteed money. And really, what I think the NFL needs to do is they need to get their big guns to just step up and do and start to fight for these guaranteed contracts. You need the upper echelon of players, the Aaron Rodgers, the the Russell Wilsons. Russell Wilson, he just signed a $140 million contract with $65 million guaranteed. In the league right now, the only guaranteed contract fully is Kirk Cousins. So Kirk Cousins, his $84 million three-year deal was fully guaranteed but other the top quarterbacks in the league, Matt Ryan, $150 million contract, $100 million guaranteed. Jimmy Garoppolo, $137.5 million contract, $74.1 million guaranteed. And then Matthew Stafford, $135 million and $92 million guaranteed. So you see that 60% of the contracts right now in the NFL are guaranteed, but that other 40%, they're not guaranteed. They... And when I say guaranteed, I mean that they have guaranteed money as far as signing bonus goes. Not the whole length of the contract is guaranteed. The only one is Kirk Cousins. But really, you have 40% of the league playing paycheck to paycheck as far as not having that security long term. And you can say what you want. You can say they make a lot of money. But based on what they're doing and the the window of opportunity they have to make that money, they need to collect as much as they can. The average lifespan of an NFL player is less than four years. A lot, the guys don't get to that second contract. And really, I think who the person who's dropped the ball in this is the NFLPA and really their head honchos. Todd Gurley said that in 2021, when they go to the bargaining table again, that there's likely going to be a lockout. And if they do have that lockout... I want to see their big players. I want to see Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, Russell Wilson. Yeah, you guys are fine, but you need to really step up and say, look, we're not stepping onto this field unless everyone is getting guaranteed money. Take a look, Do you think this would fly in the NBA with LeBron James, with Kobe Bryant, with the strong personalities in the NBA? 
Major League Baseball, they have the strongest players union in all of sports. They're ha- they have the best pensions in major in all of sports. This wouldn't fly in Major League Baseball in a league where where Bryce Harper just sold for or just signed for 335 million, Mike Trout over 400 million, and Cody Bellinger is probably going to be the you know get a half a billion. Mookie Betts might get half a billion, and so the Major League Baseball and other leagues are taking care of their players, and the NFL, which has the biggest revenue of 14 billion dollars, continues to allow their players not to have guaranteed money, and a lot of that really is the networks themselves and the NBCs, the ESPNs, the Foxes of the world that really need to step up and do the right thing and not not align themselves with this the league itself and allow them to continue to bully these players and not getting their guaranteed money. Now, I want to point something out that a federal judge found that the NFL owners illegally conspired with broadcasters, meaning the networks, ESPN, NFL, CBS, and Fox, to pay owners $4 billion even if the games were not played. That would have meant the NFL owners were getting paid in a lockout and that NFL players getting no salary and no benefits. So the, 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 the TV networks have said, look, if they lock out, you're still getting your money. If they lock out, you're still getting four billion dollars. So the league, they need to step. Uh, the 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 networks need to say, look, man, we're not giving you money. We're not. Gonna, we want the players to be in these games. We want the star players, the marquee players, to be in this game, to be playing on the field, or else that contract that we have with you is void. Because if that's the case, then the NFL wouldn't be able to just leverage all of that and say, hey. So too bad, guys. You don't want to play? It's all right. We're still getting our money. Maybe we can get some scabs, some replacement players. You never know. So the NFL, they need to get it right. Guaranteed money, they need to get that right. I know they're they're making a lot as it is, but really the reality of the situation is that they need to step up and they need to start paying their players before they talk about a 17 or 18 game regular season. So... And for the last topic today, we're going to talk a little Major League Baseball and about the whole netting situation in Major League Baseball. So if you didn't see, it was a pretty gruesome sight last week in Houston where a young girl in the stands was struck by a line drive off the bat of the Cubs' Albert Almora Jr., and it was hard to watch. He was noticeably distraught, and he was really upset about the situation. And the girl, she was rushed out of the stadium to a hospital, and the fans, they just looked stunned. They looked shocked. And Almora, he was shown he was out there praying, many players, but he was just visibly shaken. And really, it brings up the whole point about baseball and netting. So Rob Manfred discussed it a little bit after. Now, back in 2018, the MLB mandated that the netting should be extended to the end of each dugout. And yes, that was a good first step. But the incident in Houston really, really proves that it's not an issue that hasn't really been addressed properly. They really need to consider what they're going to do with this netting situation moving forward. Because I really think, I mean, I'm a baseball purist, trust me. And I think that really you don't mess with a lot of things with Major League Baseball. But it's getting to a point where these line drives and these hits off the bat... People go to baseball games, and I hate this whole argument like, oh, you should be paying attention to the game. 
really a four-year-old is supposed to be locked into the game in a regular season game, whatever game. If she's four years old, she can do whatever she wants, man. And this whole idea you got to be locked in, pay attention, I don't care. When those screamers come off the bat, you're not supposed to be like Neo in the Matrix and dodging foul balls. And really, I go to baseball games. I don't really always sit in the sections where they're going to have the netting, so I'm kind of looking down. I'm kind of up in the nosebleeds. But with these, with this netting, I really think it's something that you really have to consider going full, full bore with. But, Ma, but Rob Manfred said, Look, I think it is important that we continue to focus on fan safety. If that means that the netting has to go beyond the dugout, so be it. Each ballpark is different. The reason I hesitate with beyond the dugout, I mean a lot of clubs are beyond the dugout already, but there is a balance here. We do have fans that are vocal about the fact that they don't want to sit behind nets. I think that we have struck the balance in favor of fan safety so far, and I think we will continue to not do that. Uh, We will continue to do that going forward. He goes on to say, It is very difficult given how far the clubs have gone with the netting to make changes during the year because they really are structural issues, Manfred said. But because safety is so important, I'm sure that conversation will begin and continue in the off season. So it's really something that should be addressed. It's a safety issue. We don't want that really nasty incident. I mean, that girl in Houston, that looked very, very scary. And last year, the Dodgers, I mean, out here in Los Angeles, the Dodgers, a woman died because of an acute, she died, she was that she hemorrhaged, she had a hemorrhage at, with the ball that struck her at Dodger Stadium. That was a terrible incident, a tragic incident. And then back in 2011, a fan at Yankee Stadium, they had a damaged left eye socket, socket and they completely fractured their cheekbone and suffered permanent damage. So it's one incident is too many. I don't know what other precautions can be done other than the netting. And really, something's got to be done, though, because you don't want to see what we saw last week. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Get More Sports Podcast. Don't forget to follow me at Twitter, on Twitter, at DMAC underscore LA. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. We got a big show lined up for you guys on Friday, so be sure to come check us out. Thanks for rocking with us once again. My name is Doug McCain. Have a great rest of your day, and I'm out.